0: here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Tim Cohen. He is the founder and CEO of ALN Medical Management. As a founder and CEO since its inception in 2000, he really has a long-term history prior to that with 30 years experience in strategy business development, and change management. He's worked extensively in healthcare and with physicians in multiple contexts throughout his career. Prior to ALN, he was the founder of ASLEX. It's a healthcare strategy consulting company. Before that, he was senior manager in Anderson Consulting's, now Accenture, change management practice. He received his master's in industrial organizational psychology from University of Tulsa and his bachelor's in psychology and sociology from Southwest Baptist University. Tim is a frequent speaker and writes ALN's weekly blog on strategic issues facing independent physicians. And it's going to be a great talk today with him, focused around what we do in these changing times. And so with that, I I want to welcome you, Tim. So glad you could join us. So thanks. Thrilled to be here. So Tim, talk to us a little bit about your inspiration for healthcare. What what got you started? What keeps you in it?
1: Well, the truth of the answer is I ended up in healthcare accidentally taking a internship to get through my graduate program, but once I landed there, inspiration for me has been very personal. First, um, at that internship, I ended up bumping into This amazing young new nurse that uh, 32 years later, I still have the privilege of calling my wonderful wife. And just watching her as a neonatal intensive care nurse on the front lines, taking care of literally the smallest and most vulnerable, uh, has given me a lot of inspiration through my life. Uh, My mother uh, was a diabetic who died early from the complications of that disease. And Mm. so even though I'm not clinical, Um, have been surrounded like a lot of people, you know, with a personal story that gives me the reason to say if we can do anything to help the helpers, that to me is uh, meaningful and valuable work. And then even today, I'm compelled. Our niece is on the front lines in a hospital in New York City taking care of coronavirus patients every day. So it's those types of personal things that sort of get you up in the morning
0: uh, and say, what can I do to help? Yeah, that's awesome, man. And the, the opportunity to serve, whether it be directly or indirectly is is a big one. And there's a lot of inspiration in it. How would you say ALN is adding value to the healthcare ecosystem? Tell us a little bit more about the company and, and your sweet spot that where you're delivering results.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned uh, in my bio, I began my career as a strategy consultant and in that developed, you know, a real set of convictions about the need to, you know, not try to be all things to all people, to understand a very specific segment of the market, their needs and and gear yourself to serve them. And for a whole variety of reasons, I I personally came to believe and we believe deeply as a company in the value of the independent physician practice segment inside the U.S. healthcare ecosystem. Uh, There is clearly a role for massive institutions, and we have them. Uh, Capital formation and scale often require organizations the size of CMS or some large payers, large hospital systems, large pharma and device companies. Those types of things just require that size and scale to work. But the outputs of those very, very large organizations eventually end up coming into play with an individual patient in one of their most vulnerable moments. And oftentimes, the the bridge between the very, very large and the very small personal and intimate is an independent physician eyeball to eyeball with the patient in one of the most intimate settings. And so... We have a deep conviction that our overall healthcare system is better when there is a robust independent physician segment in that ecosystem. And so, ALN is a plumbing company. Um, I joke, uh, you know, we are processing claims and standing up technology and providing data uh, for our client practices that are all independent physician groups, from one doctor all the way up to several hundred. And we are there building that part of their business to enable them to stay independent, to stay in control of their own destiny, and thus, again, for them to fill this very critical role uh, in the U.S. healthcare industry.
0: Fascinating, Tim. And and I'm curious about the the stats. I'm sure you're well-versed in this, at least maybe at a high level. What are the numbers now? You know, Compared to 10 years ago, this independent physician group, I know it's shrinking, but maybe it's not as small as we think.
1: Well, it's interesting because when we decided several years ago to really hone this particular part of our strategy around independent physicians, there was a time I I thought we I was going to be the mayor of a very small and shrinking island in the Caribbean. <laughs> because if you go back four or five years ago, you know, most industry experts were projecting the complete and total death of the independent practice. Uh and, and there was a time as physicians were rapidly joining employment status with health systems mostly, but even uh, players uh, on the payer side of things, that looked to be the case. Today, um, we're probably at a, depending on how you count, the data is is very sketchy. But it's, for some people, anywhere from a 50-50 split between employed and independent physicians, maybe as high as 60-65% employed but we've definitely seen that trend slow what we've learned is what's really really hard is to be Marcus Welby you know the independent one doc practice that many people in say our parents generation grew up with right the cost the regulatory compliance the role of technology consumerism marketing just make it really really hard for solo physicians to survive. So we've seen a dramatic reduction uh, in that particular model. Physicians that are independent, those practices as a rule are tending to get larger. And interestingly enough, one of the emerging trends in a whole variety of ways, but particularly with private equity, is many of them to retain their clinical independence and not be part of a larger system are bringing in equity partners, a new model, but it still leaves the physicians in control clinically. So uh, we've seen that trend begin to flatten, and it does vary by specialty. There are far more primary care physicians, for example, that have uh, taken the employment model, Uh, more specialists, particularly surgical, procedural specialists tend to be independent and there's also a, a geographic variance that i can't always figure out the why
0: behind but we we do see different trends in different markets the the geographical one is interesting right i mean do, do you, what markets do you find tends to to be more toward one or the other
1: well you know it, it's funny uh, the the first thought off the top of your head would be you know this has something to do with managed care penetration yeah um, you know the more managed care, the more you need larger groups and so you look for example, in places like southern California, where we 've got you know lots of uh, good old fashioned capitated h m o and and that market tends to really, really bifurcate. You either have very large groups oftentimes through the i p a model or You'll end up with more solo physicians out there than you find in other places. Hmm. Uh, so th- it is a driver, but it doesn't explain all the variants. I think sometimes the power of the hospital systems in a particular market are in effect and, and what their strategy is around employing physicians and are mm-hmm. they employing uh, just primaries or primaries and specialists. Uh, it, it, and we see hospitals you know, taking very different strategies, which will affect the independent practice market. Uh, The other thing that's, you know, now coming into play because of the presence of of equity players in the physician space is, you know, are there consolidators uh, in a given specialty that are showing up in a market? You know, we've clearly seen more of this beginning with the hospital-based specialties of radiology and anesthesia, where we've now got large staffing companies with uh, lots of uh, physicians uh, that are part of their model, and that can drive some things as well. And those equity sponsors are now moving uh, beyond the hospital-based specialties to some of the office-based specialties. We're seeing a lot of activity right now in pain management, orthopedics, obstetrics, general surgery. So so that factor is there. And then we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the biggest player of all in the employed uh, physician space. Uh, This is generally um, a way to win a bet at a healthcare conference. Because when you ask uh, (laughs) who employs uh, you know, most doctors at the bar at happy hour at the conference, you're probably going to get an answer of Kaiser or the VA, or maybe uh, one of the big health systems like Ascension. But the truth right. matter is, uh, by large measure, uh, it's Optum, and Optum, you know, currently employs, I think, the last number I saw is over about forty five thousand physicians, as much as four times as the amount of Kaiser. So they're a big player for you know a lots of strategic reasons. So when you throw all that in the blender, I, I've just figured out that when you <laughs> walk into a market, you you just got to start from scratch. Yeah. And say yeah. what's going on here? What are the factors driving whether or not there's a, a strong, robust independent physician segment or not? And
0: uh, it's just a big Rubik's cube that varies market to market. Fascinating. I appreciate that, Tim. And I know the listeners do too, because a lot of anecdotal information gets pushed out there. And, and this was a really great deep dive into the physician, the models, the players, equity partners, you know, just the providers. So I appreciate the, the download there with you. As, as ALN, what are you guys doing that's different to help the individual independent physicians? Well, we do care about the
1: individual practices, and we have some of them as clients, but the truth of the matter is our primary strategic focus in terms of what drives our day-to-day decision-making is the segment that we refer to as bigger than small and smaller than big, and that's, that's as deeply profound as, uh, as it sounds. We believe the one-to-five provider space is going to continue to be difficult, as we discussed earlier, just for you know, all the the things that get laid on a practice. So when we strategically sit down and say, what do our clients need? What are we going to build to create value? We have as our real sweet spot, kind of the five to 30 providers. We have a couple of clients that are much larger, uh, they're equity back, they're growing fast, and they've got kind of a, a unique set of needs on top of that that we had. But I think that the thing that we have done is just, get really, really focused on what does that segment, five to 30 independent office-based surgical or procedural, what do they need when it comes to RevCycle, IT, business intelligence, the compliance-related things around that. And we are just fortunate enough uh, to be like our market. We are big enough that we can invest because that part of the solution set, when we got into it 20 years ago, was fundamentally Mm labor-driven. For example, we're in the business of outsourced billing. And that question used to be just one of, do I want the payroll to set on my numbers or your numbers? Um, Because it was a labor-driven deal. Over the course of 20 years, this is why we saw an opportunity there. It has increasingly become technology-enabled services, which means capital, which means size and scale. So, We are now big enough, we process about 200,000 physician claims a month, which kind of puts us bigger than most mom and pop outsourced billing companies. But we're small enough that we are intimately involved with our practices and we can configure what is needed. For example, we've got a vascular surgery group really complex coding. They're tied to their office-based lab. They've got some unique specialty-specific clinical technology that we need to flow data into that our IT team is able to customize with them so the data flows from their system into the claims processing part of things. And then on the other side, we've got a hospitalist-based group that Uh, is an independent group providing care in the hospital, but they've also got a fairly robust telemedicine practice, which ironically, you know, predates all the telemedicine we've been standing up in the last 30 days. And that had a different set of data technology and RCM requirements. So we're in this little sweet spot where we've been able to build a robust engine It's got a lot of technology. It's got a lot of automation. We're deploying uh, bots now. We're in some early stages on artificial intelligence for predictive analytics on denials. And at the same time, we're small enough that we can get in with each of our clients and do the configuration that they need based on their specialty. And I think that's what puts us kind of in a unique place to create value for this 5 to 30, and then in some cases, 200 provider groups.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating, Tim. And, and so what would you say is the one or two differentiating value adds that you guys give to your customers?
1: I, I think, you know, everything in our business begins with cash. Our clients do work and um, we're turning that into cash for them. And, and we have best-of-class performance in terms of what's called the net collection ratio, and that is getting them uh, every available dollar that their contract requires. And, and that's really a combination of not only the things that we discuss, but how we get into uh, tying that into their operation. I think the second one is really around business intelligence because those practices that we serve have a a level of complexity that's bigger than their size. They've often got a surgery center or imaging or something like the telemedicine thing that we're discussing. So they need us to help them manage a, a business that may be $10 million of top line revenue, but it's got a lot of complexity. And being a bunch of recovering consultants, we're data junkies ourselves, and we provide a lot of business intelligence—not just about how the rev cycle is working, but what's going on about their business that we can see through the claims that flow through our shop. Those would be the two things, and then maybe if there, if I cheated and took a third, our ability to handle their
0: complex technology platform with them. Very cool. Very cool. Doesn't get clearer than that, Tim. I appreciate you—you you highlighting those things. If you, if you had to highlight maybe how you've improved outcomes or made business better, what would you say a good story there is?
1: You know, I, I think it's helping our clients who are physicians, they're clinicians, they own their business, but their primary job is to take care of their patients. How do we help them take this incredibly complex thing of healthcare revenue cycle? And if you've ever tried to explain it to somebody that's not in it, They look at you like you you've got four heads. It's like, could anybody have designed a more complicated thing? It's like, no, probably not. It's pretty bad. But to translate that in a way that our physicians who come into a board meeting, you know, for an hour a month, that they can understand it enough to make the necessary decisions as owners of the business without getting lost in the weeds. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. But when we can do that and enable them to be a clinician 99% of the time and an owner 1% of the time and bring those together. That's, that's when we know we're doing
0: good stuff. Love it. That is definitely a sweet spot. If you have to think about the last 20 years, yeah. do you have a, a something that happened or a setback that you feel produced a key learning that's made you guys better today?
1: Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I, I I could come up with a long list of setbacks, but one that comes to mind, Saul, is we had a client several years ago. Ironically, they were equity backed. They were in a specialty and a market that we thought, man, there is no way this thing is not a home run. But they were really struggling. And uh, they began to get behind on their invoice to us and Uh, We would talk to them and they are like, Mm -hmm. hey, we're turning the corner. And when we looked at the the big picture, um, again, we are like, there's no way this can't work. And they kept going and kept going. And you could probably guess where this story is going to land. They called us at one point and they said, hey, we're closing the practice. And we had a major uh, write-off that we had to take that, you know, rippled through our financials. And So when we step back from that and say, you know, what can we really learn? What what you've come to realize, and this is true in business everywhere. It was just, you know, I could put a price tag on on the cost of my tuition on this one. (laughs) Is we all, no matter where we are, if we're not taking stuff out of the dirt that God made, or if we're not the final consumer, we're somewhere in the middle of a value creation chain. And we are very connected to what happens to us both upstream and downstream. and so it pushed us to be more engaged and more transparent and demand the same from our vendors, suppliers, and partners that were upstream of us, and likewise to be more connected uh, downstream with our client practices. And so one way that that is showing up, for example, right now in the middle of the coronavirus stuff, we're all trying to project some scenario in the future that that might be believable that we can plan on. And we are simply asking our largest clients to give us their projection for the rest of the year and incorporating that into our model rather than us just trying. And, and by the way, we're sharing from them what we see about their business and they're sharing their projections back with us. And so to just be more connected up and down the supply chain, both upstream and downstream is kind of what that uh, very expensive lesson taught me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you when you when you think think about this practice, I mean, it's a it's a great practice. You could assign it you know, strategically to, to an account manager. Or, you know, you yeah. could even take it on. But thinking through it, how could this have prevented or, or mitigated what happened?
1: Well, it, this one's going to be easy for me to say because, you know, I'm going I'm to blame the dead here and they're not around to uh, <laughs> you know defend themselves because the practice did go out of business. But looking back at it in this particular case, this was an early private equity uh, entree into this particular specialty. Mm-hmm. And. You know, as we got into sorting through the debris and we got more into it because we were a significant creditor trying to figure out how to get paid, I don't think the equity guys actually understood the business model of this specialty because mm-hmm. we, we found it's like we were only seeing the top line, right? Here are claims and here's volume and here's how your specialty and the demographics of your market, I mean, they were a, a diabetes group in the South, right? I'm from the South. You mm-hmm. got to do just fine. Um, there's a high you know uh, high number of people with diabetes uh, in some of those markets, but the way they had put their business model together once we understood the cost side of the equation it was like you, you guys will never make money it it 's not that there's not a need here um, and so again, that sort of led us to say in the long run. One of the things that independent practices are really going to need, and this is another reason that the, you know, one to five dot group is going to struggle, is you really need to be able to afford high quality management. This is Mm -hmm. a complex world right now. And having really, really good business people who can partner with the physicians and let them be owners at the top, get them out of the management layer in the middle and clinicians day to day, it is when we look at our clients that are really successful that 's their formula they 've got great civilian executive business leadership that has partnered with great physician owner and clinician leadership
0: and that 's what makes it work yeah that's fascinating uh, Now, I appreciate you sharing that very valuable lesson and um, think about where you guys are at you guys and gals are at in the value chain you know think think about this very thoughtful Question that Tim has posed to us, and be sure to connect both upstream and downstream to to those service providers, customers that you're working with. What would you say you're most excited about today, Tim?
1: You know, it's interesting um, as a strategy guy who is currently grounded, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't go get on airplanes, I can't go see people, which is my you know normal job. Yep. So uh, we're all sitting here looking forward to, you know, have we found the bottom? Uh, when does it begin to uptick? When do we return toward normal? Um, but there's a, there's a bigger question in my mind that has been occupying me of late and it creates some fear, but it it creates a lot of excitement. And that is there will be things that, you know, and and we're all hearing these conversations, but we got to drive this into our own business. There will be things that never return to normal that the change of 2020 will forever result in a restructuring and some things will go away entirely. They will just be obliterated and there will be great loss. Uh, Other things will be, they will continue, but they will be so fundamentally different. You know, telehealth, for example, might be one of those things. And then there will be new opportunities that emerge that six months ago that none of us had on our radar screen. And when I look at that, I believe that what the next two or three years in healthcare is going to represent is a a time of of great pain and loss for those that are not well-equipped, and it will be disruptive and dislocating. On the other hand, there will be some bold players who are willing to take some chances, who have gotten themselves to enough size and scale, for example, in the independent physician space where... They have the leadership. They have the resources to bet on some of these emerging opportunities. And uh, we're going to see, I think, a a period of business model innovation that will parallel what we are hoping for on the scientific side with vaccinations and treatments and the like. But I think we're going to see a level of business model innovation in the physician space, unlike anything we've seen in a long, long time. And so I'm really excited. You know, my job, I've got the best job in the world because I get to just join up with my clients and be a strategy consultant for free to help them figure out where they're going. And we've already begun some conversations with some of them as they have started thinking about the new opportunities that will be emerging after this all passes to deliver more value to their patients, to the healthcare system overall to not just bend the cost curve, but break it and change it in some places. And that's gonna be a fun time for at least some subset of the market
0: in the coming years. Man, that's cool. Yeah, that's uh, definitely exciting. You got me excited about it. <laughs> and I'm not even in, the, in, the, in that vertical. So Tim, your, your, your passion is contagious. As a uh, you know, podcast host, I'm always curious what my, my guests are, are reading. And the listeners are always curious too. What book would you recommend to us, or for some good reading during these uh, quarantine days?
1: I could recommend a lot, but but thinking about my audience specifically, where I hang out, particularly as some independent physician practices are coming together and trying to get it a little larger, um, there's a, there's a book that I have recommended repeatedly that I think. It sneaks in the side door, but is so educational. And it's called The Quartet. It's a huh. book written by Pulitzer Prize winner, Joseph Ellis. And it is actually a history book. It's not a healthcare book. It's not a management book. And it's definitely not a book you know written specifically about the psychological, social, and cultural nuances of trying to bring several physicians together into a larger group. It's the story of... Our founding fathers, specifically Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, John Jay, and James Madison, thus the Quartet, who personally engineered our migration from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. And it is a a fascinating historical story, one that without these four men, the United States doesn't exist. But... When you read the story, if you have ever been part of two or more groups of physicians trying to come together and figure out how to be bigger together, uh, it's like he has been listening in on your meetings. And so, um, whether you're in the physician space or not, the quartet is just a a fascinating read. Obviously, uh, Ellis, having won a Pulitzer for another of his books, is a great writer. But uh, if you spend any time hanging around doctors,
0: it's a
1: very informative read.
0: Wow. Some great summary there. Quartet by Joseph Ellis folks and you know where to go outcomesrocket.health in the search bar for the full show notes transcript links everything we've discussed. You can find it there just uh type in a l n and uh or type in Tim Cohen uh, and uh, you'll be able to Tim Cohen and you'll be able to find it there. It's Cohen it's c o a n. Uh, So, Tim, just a privilege to have you on. Uh, Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just leave us with the closing thought, and then the best place for the listeners could continue the conversation with you.
1: Saul, as a person who my role is to help the helpers, I just want to, especially in this time, say thanks to every doctor and nurse, clinician, lab tech, um, whoever you are that's directly caring for patients. Healthcare is a massive industry. Um, but it all kind of comes to an apex at that place that care gets delivered to a patient. And we are exceedingly uh, grateful for you all and know that there's a whole army of us uh, standing behind you, trying to do our best to help you out. Uh, not just during this time, but every day as we provide health to our, our friends and
0: family. That's great, Tim. I and, and I second that a big thanks to all of the healthcare providers and so, Tim, what, what would you say the best place for folks to reach out and continue the conversation is? Would
1: love to hear from people. I, I love chatting with folks in this industry who are up at the plate with a bat in their hand, taking a swing. You know, even if they strike out, they're, they're giving it a shot. And uh, email is the best. Uh, Tim.Cohen at ALNMM.com.
0: Outstanding. Tim, thank you. It's been a a real insightful discussion around physician models and practices and management of them. We're leaving better because of you. And so I just want to say a big thanks to you for uh, helping share your insights with us.
1: Saul, thank you. Appreciate what you guys are doing to facilitate the conversation. Thank you.